We're involved in battle. God's given us armor to protect us. Satan is defeated, and we win. That's the story of the Bible. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. We're going to look at this 12th chapter and what's been implicit in the first 11 is now going to be made very clear as we look at this conflict. This is God's Word, chapter 12, if you'd open your Bibles there with me. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. You get the imagery here, pretty graphic imagery. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. And then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. 
But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey the commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is the word of God. Now, let me give a couple of things here at the very beginning I want to lay out. One of them is this. Uh, I'm going I'm to be very clearly, hopefully, showing you that this whole business of spiritual warfare is very real. It's been interesting to me over the years. Uh, I've preached 40-some-odd years. And it's been interesting to me that there were certain subjects when I preached on them that I felt a greater attack on, on me and my family than at other times. Certain subjects. One of them was when I preached on the Holy Spirit. Marriage. When I preached on marriage, I could almost I always expect we we're going to have some kind of conflict. You know, it just was going to happen. And then this subject of Satan, because Satan does not want us to understand what he's really like. Even this past week, I'm telling you, there was twice, including yesterday, I could not talk, couldn't speak yesterday. And I want to thank, I know a number of you, some of the Radiant uh, girls and some others who've been, who Marianne sent a thing out and y'all were praying for me. Thank you, because God's enabled me to talk. I'm just telling you, this business is real. We're involved in warfare. It's real warfare. Folks, we're not on a cruise line. We're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship, and we're going into battle. So you've got this imagery. There are three major characters that we've uh, got to deal with, first of all, right? So the first one is this radiant woman. She's gorgeous. I mean, here's this woman. She's, you can read her description here. And uh, obviously favored by God. God loves her. God cares for this woman. Now, who's the woman? Well, quickly, I'm going through the exposition fairly quickly because I want to, I want to hammer down the application. So, who's the woman? This is Old Testament people of God. This is Old Testament Israel. Where was the Messiah going to come from? From the Old Testament people of God. Often the Old Testament was described as a woman who was in labor, anxiously awaiting the time when the child was going to be born, when the Messiah was going to come, and the Messiah was going to come out of her. So there's the woman. And then it's, you know, it's no mystery who the child is, right? The child is the Christ. Verse 5 said he is going to come, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Imagery from the second psalm, there's a messianic psalm pointing to him. So the child is Christ, the child is Jesus Christ, and he is the one who's to be born. He's going to rule the nations uh, with a rod of iron. And then the dragon, he's not hard to figure out either, right? In fact, it's stated very clearly who the dragon is. The dragon is Satan. Uh, he's the great enemy of God. And look at his description here, seven heads, uh, seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. Now, get a, we, you know, when we unpack these things, we don't have time to go necessarily into all the details. Let me just simply say what that's pointing to is his destructive power. He's this dragon, enormous dragon with destructive power. And so he's presented there. And with his tail, 
He sweeps away a third of the stars out of the heavens. Now, who's that talking about? Those are angelic beings who are now fallen angels. They're what Paul refers to in that passage on spiritual warfare. Where he talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, the authorities in heavenly places, princes of this dark earth. Remember that whole passage. That's who this is. So those are all of the demons, all of the fallen ones. When you get the New Testament, you read about demonic activity. This is where it came from. The dragon is there, and he's ready to get the child. But did you notice the child is snatched up and taken up into heaven? What is that talking about? The resurrection. He's snatched up, and he goes into heaven. And so now that Satan can't get the child, who does he go after? Who's he go? I'm asking, who's he go after? The woman and her offspring. Now, guess what? That's us. All right, so you see it? That's what's going on here. Oh, he goes after it. This great dragon, he comes after it. And so the woman then is taken into the wilderness where God had prepared a place for her. Now, you remember back in the Old Testament, remember in the book of, uh, it, it, during the, um, Exodus, when the people were taken out, remember they go in the wilderness? It's a dangerous place. And yet it was a place where the people had to learn their total dependence upon God. And it was there in the wilderness that God protected them and God provided for them. So that's the picture here. The woman, the church, goes out into the wilderness. That's where we are, folks. And God provided the wings like a great eagle that came and it goes back to the Exodus story where God reminded in Exodus 19 where he reminded the people, remember what I did when I took you out of Egypt? I bore you on the wings of an eagle and took you out. So there he is in the midst of all of this. He's protecting the woman. He's protecting the church through all of this process. So that's what's going on. Now, that's the first part of the chapter. When you get to verse 7, it's a retake. It's another angle. The first six verses tell us about the earth's perspective. In other words, the first six verses is taken from the standpoint of the earth. Starting at verse 6, same story, but now we go up to heaven. And we're going to see it from a heavenly standpoint. So pick up with me at verse 7 and notice what we're told there. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Spiritual warfare. I remember early in my Christian life hearing, hearing a preacher talk about this, and he said, you know, there's battles that go on right above our heads that we have no idea that they're going on. These spiritual battles. And that's the picture here. There was war in heaven. And then you were introduced to the name Michael. Do you remember the name Michael? He's one of the angels. Jude said he's one of the archangels. He's one of the high-ranking angels. And if you go back to Daniel, you'll find Michael introduced to the book of Daniel. And there, Michael was the defender of God's people. So you get the picture here. Here's Michael, the defender of God's people, the great archangel who's leading the, the armies of angels in this battle against Satan and his angels. And he's doing it to defend and protect us. 
So there's the battle. See, right above our heads, we don't even know the stuff's going on. But right above our heads, there's spiritual warfare that takes place. And then the battle ends with the defeat of the dragon and his army who are thrown out of heaven. Do you remember when Jesus said in Luke, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? Well, here it is. He's thrown out of heaven. And then there he is. He's filled with wrath. In fact, look at verse 12 where it says he's thrown to the earth. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So he's filled with fury. Now you get the picture. He failed in his attempt to devour the child. And so now his attention is drawn to the woman who gave birth to the child. And he comes after it and all who belong to Christ. And during this time... However, God is giving protection in the midst of it. But he continues on this tack on, on, on the woman. Look at the last verse, verse 17. It says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring and those who obey God's commandments and who hold the testimony of Jesus. Listen, that's the battle. That's what's happening. That's the great underlying theme of all of the Scripture. Now, it's interesting that in this passage, uh, you know, he's presented as this, this dragon, this uh, horrible-looking dragon, red dragon who comes out. And, you know, honest, look, I wish, honestly, when I was tempted, I wish it was the dragon. I wish I could see him. Oh, you know, there he is. And I kind of know what's happening. But you know what? Look, the Scripture also says that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Do you remember this? Uh, Martin Luther in his commentary, I'm pretty sure it's an introduction to his commentary to Galatians, says, uh, he says, when we look at the devil and we think about the devil, he says there are really two devils. Now, and what he meant by this was not literally that there are two devils. He didn't mean that. But he says there are sort of two aspects of the devil. He says there's the red, there's the red devil, and the red devil, that's the one, you know, adultery, uh, that's lying, cheating, stealing, uh, you know, all those, all those the in-your-face sort of sins. He says that's the red devil. But Luther says, oh, but there's another devil who's the white devil. And he says, the white devil is far more subtle than the red devil. And he says, I'll tell you why. Because the white devil tries to convince us of our own self-righteousness. And I want to tell you without a doubt, and you know, look, this is so true. Most churches like our, we, we believe the Bible. We're evangelical. You know, we, we hold the authority of Scripture. We believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. And there's probably not a person in this room who wouldn't say, yeah, I agree with those things. But here's what, here's what Luther was saying. However, there are people who drift into religion. And they lose the fact that it's a relationship with Jesus. And they miss the gospel. They honestly are good, nice people. And they don't see their sin for what it is. And because they're good and nice people, they think they're okay when they're not okay. Because they really haven't dealt with their own sin. Wow. One author I read said, one of the greatest problems that we have in evangelical churches is... People who are filled with pride in religion and who have been conditioned to culture tradition. 
This is pretty powerful stuff, folks. It's that subtle way where Satan comes in and convinces us we're nice people. I'm, look, I'm looking at you. You're nice people. You look nice, you know? And, and probably most of you in this room, you're good people from that standpoint. But do you understand that we all are fallen sinners? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our religion won't get us to heaven. It won't get you to heaven. You know, and there are people who get so steeped in it. Really, the, the story of the prodigal son, you know, the real, when you look at the story of the prodigal son, have you ever looked at the older brother and the older brother's attitude? The older brother who, oh, I've been good all my life. I've never done anything, Father, to ever disappoint you, right? Do you believe that? That's the mentality. And sometimes Satan comes with that and he convinces us. And let me tell you what happens. Here's the great, listen, this is the great burden of my life in ministry for whatever God gives me these remaining years of ministry is I want to see people rediscover the gospel again. I want us to come to grips with our fallenness. I want us to come to grips with our own sins and it's only when you come to grips with your own sin that you can see the beauty of the cross, that you can see the beauty of Jesus, that you can see what Jesus did for us on that cross where he took all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, and he died for us so that we could be set free. I pray that we rediscover it. So many of us have been gospel inoculated. We've been around it for years and years and years, and we've heard it over and over again, and we, oh, we can say it. But let me ask you this. Do you understand that it is absolutely a miracle that you're saved? Do you understand it's a miracle that God loved you enough to send his son to come and die for you? I tell you, every time I think about the gospel... My heart is warmed again at the beauty of Jesus and what Jesus would do for somebody like me. And I was one of those sort of good moral people who didn't think I needed anything until one day a guy shared with me that Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I saw my sin. And I realized that if I was the only person left on this earth, that Jesus would have come and died for me. All of a sudden, Christianity became very real to me. That's what I'm praying for. Satan doesn't want you to believe that. He wants to convince you of your self-righteousness. Battle is real, but God provides the armor. He provides the protection that we need. And you find that clearly laid out in Ephesians chapter 6, verses, starting at verse 10. And this is what the passage, how the passage reads. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's what Paul's talking about, exactly what we've been talking about this morning. Put on the full armor of God because he's got these schemes and he's coming after you with them. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, all those fallen angels and demonic beings. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Okay, so we're in the battle. The battle is real. The battle is intense, but God's given us armor. Now, here's the deal. You got to put it on. Now, what is the armor? I'm going to give you the simplest summary of what the armor is. You know what the armor is? The armor is the gospel. The armor is Jesus. And you look at every piece of it as you develop it unfolds there in chapter 6 of Ephesians. The belt of truth. What did Jesus Christ say? I am the way, what? The truth. He is the truth. Satan comes at us with all this deception. He comes with us with all these lies. He cannot stand against the truth of God. Let's be real careful. He loved to create problems within our midst and conflict because that's the way he operates. Listen, it wasn't Caesar who came up with divide and conquer. It's Satan. And that's what he loves to do. We got to be careful. Belt plate of truth. What about the next one? The breastplate of righteousness. Where's our righteousness from? It is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us so that when we stand before God, we are people who God looks at in the same way he sees his son Jesus. And Satan is there to accuse us. He's there, first of all, to try to make us think we earn our righteousness. And Jesus is there to say, no, it's my righteousness that has been given to you. Satan is the one who's called the accuser of the brothers who comes back to you and points out all of the failures of your life and says, you claim to be a Christian. Do you remember when you did this? Yes, Satan. But I have the breastplate of righteousness. My righteousness is not a righteousness that I derived of myself. It is a righteousness that has been given to me by the Lord himself, his perfect righteousness. And I stand before God forgiven and righteous because of what Jesus. See what I'm saying? Every one of these pieces of the armor is about the gospel. The breastplate of righteousness or the sandals of peace. Jesus is our peace. It is Jesus who made peace with God on our behalf, as Romans 5 makes it very clear. And it is Jesus who promises to give us his peace, and yet Satan comes and does everything, everything in his power to rob us of peace. But we have the peace of Christ that guards our hearts, Scripture says the shield of faith to withstand the fiery darts. Don't you love that imagery? Can't if I was up here throwing darts at you, you know? Fiery darts, that's what he does at us. The shield of faith. When those doubts come, when those temptations come, when, when those things come against your life and Satan is hurling those darts at you, the shield of faith. I have faith in the king who is going to protect me and who conquers and who will reign forever and ever with a rod of, uh, uh, with, a, with an iron rod. There it is. Oh, what about the helmet of salvation? I'm telling you where Satan goes. He loves to mess with our minds. He loves to convince you of things that aren't true and right. 
even things about you. He loves to come to your mind and mess with you and say, nobody loves me. And deep down in you, you're longing for love and you're longing to be accepted. And, and Satan comes to you and says, nobody loves you. And you, nobody, you're not loved at all. And, and here's the gospel that comes and says, you are absolutely, unconditionally loved and accepted by your heavenly Father because of Jesus. Do you see it? And then there's the sword of the Spirit. Wow. The sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? Do you remember what it is? The Word of God, right? Sword of the Spirit. When Jesus was tempted, when he was tempted out in the wilderness by Satan, you remember it? What was the weapon that Jesus used? Satan would toss out these things, and what did Jesus say to him? He would raise up the Word of God, and Satan would flee. That's why the Scripture is so important. We have to be men and women of the Word. We have to know God's Word. We have to memorize God's Word. We have to meditate upon God's Word. It is our weapon. And the whole thing has to be oiled with prayer. We're involved in battle. God's given us armor to protect us. Satan is defeated, and we win. That's the story of the Bible. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this awesome, awesome passage. And I pray this morning that even in the weakness of my voice, God, and probably a lot of unclear thoughts, that you would take this word and drive it into our hearts because we are involved in this battle and we know we are. But we have a king. We have a king who wins. A king who has already defeated Satan. His doom is sure. But God, we forget it. We find ourselves in the throes of the battle and we fall for his lies. We slip into temptations. We become overwhelmed with the trials and even question your love for us. And they're all Satan's ploys to pull us away. We give you thanks this morning that you've given us the armor. Let us put it on. And you've given us the victory. A mighty fortress is our God. May we never forget it. For we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Sign up now for summer camps at First Presbyterian Church. Summer at First is a place where campers have fun as they make friends and learn about God. Camp counselors help build strong character in the lives of young people through daily Bible stories, music, games, crafts, and prayer. Our ministry is available for ages three months through rising sixth grade. More information at firstpresgreenville.org.